Hello and welcome to the Letter Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Alan Bishop. So Alan is the Director of Sport Performance at the University of Houston's men's basketball team and he's known for his impressive body composition changes with his athletes during their college years. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your body composition than Alan? So without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, great, great to be linking up, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, so, you know, my name's Alan Bishop, and uh, I am the Director of Sports Performance for Men's Basketball at the University of Houston, you know, here in the great nation of Texas, the United States of America. Uh, but yeah, man, just, uh, you know, got to start as a student athlete, and was actually a football student athlete, got done playing, and... and carved out a niche you know that's it's kind of gone down a winding path down this basketball road but you know started out at a really small school called southern utah university went to another small school called university of texas arlington uh had a chance to coach at my alma mater which was utah state university and then back in texas again and uh working at university of houston just finished up year six and uh you know just trying to find ways to stay fresh and keep winning games Awesome. And how, how big is uh, University of Houston? Because obviously there's going to be people like me from Europe who are like, lots of different names. Houston, big city, I get it. But like, what, what's, what's going on there? Uh, I, I don't know the exact number, but I've got to think our enrollment is probably forty to 50,000 students. So pretty pretty big size. It's not small. Yeah. So it's, it's a reasonably sized city in itself. Yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome. So you're, you're well known for the way that you can transform athletes, right? So you get that, that whole body composition change from skinny tall guy to okay relatively large uh let's say stacked but like muscular human being um like what what brings that on like why why do athletes need that change from kind of lanky individual who maybe doesn't have that much control over the limbs through to tall big and athletic yeah you know i, I think with that it's um uh, it's one of those things where I get that question from people all the time and, and, you know, people want to throw a million hypotheticals. Well, like, well, shouldn't they be working on their shot? Shouldn't they be working on this? Shouldn't they be working on that? And to me, I just look at it. It's like, look, if you hold up a before and after photo and this, this kid's six, eight, two Oh five, this kid's six, eight, two forty five. This kid didn't forget how to shoot. He didn't forget how to rebound. He didn't forget how to defend. Which one would you rather be playing right now? Like who do you want on your team? And I think that's one of the things in this where I think basketball gets a bad rap. Uh, you know, just a lot of these kids' body types are not built for the weight room. You know, they're really, really long limbs. Uh, you know, I've given the example to a few people. We, we got a freshman coming in, so a kid in high school. He's coming in next year. He's six foot six, standing barefoot, and he's got a seven foot six wingspan. So he's plus 12 on his wingspan to height. And that, that's how we recruit. Everyone recruits a little bit different. Well, we recruit length. You know, our, our starting center this year is going to be six seven with a seven foot five wingspan, right? So we always want those big plus, you know, eight nine ten wingspans. So you look at that body type that's not built to press, it's not built to squat. Um, so then you got to get a little bit creative, and you know, that's uh, I, I think that's one of the things that I've kind of spent my whole life growing up in gyms and weight rooms. And you know, I, actually, my my dad was in the military, and I was about ten years old the first time I snuck into a, a weight room on the military base. So. You know, kept that rolling all the way up through high school. And, you know, I played football in Texas for two years, football in Alabama for two years. So you, you just really get a background in how to train because those are two states where we had weight rooms and coaches dedicated to training us. 
Um, spent a lot of time learning how to train under very good strength coaches, you know, at the university level when I played. Um, you know, and I, I do think I've, I've got a unique mindset with it where I do like drawing from all disciplines. I think there's things, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a bodybuilder coach, but we are building bodies. Right. So maybe there are some really good things that we can take from that hypertrophy world of, of bodybuilding, you know, maybe different time under tension elements, maybe different uh, set and rep schemes, uh, training modalities. You know, I'm, I'm not a power lifting coach, but I need guys to get strong, you know, and I, I read a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Westside Barbell, Elite FTS, kind of the things that everybody thinks they have an opinion on. Like I'm not smart enough or qualified to have an opinion on it because I never actually trained there. Uh, but you start getting a lot of ideas. You start implementing it. Um, you know, and so again, you look at it and, and ultimately at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we have all the data, we have all the metrics, you know, our guys, not only do they get bigger and stronger, but their, their verticals go up, their speed improves, you know, their endurance tests and, and how we value testing and what we do for our team, they all improve those metrics. So, so one, once we can kind of eliminate that fallacy that getting big, strong, putting on size is somehow going to hurt other aspects of performance. Well, shoot, I mean, you know, there's weight classes in wrestling for a reason, right? And so for me, I, I would much rather have the bigger, stronger athlete out there since there are no weight classes and let's just find a way to keep them really lean. You know, fat don't flex. And, and I think there's a reality that you know, I take a lot of pride that, that our athletes, you know, we're all sub 10% body fat. Um, we've been that way for a few years now, man. I mean, we just, we do a good job with the nutrition, with the training. Um, then you start putting on size and then it becomes a cultural aspect of what we do. And that's how we recruit. And, you know, Hey, this is, this is what you can expect. It's part of the entire training package of what we do, nutrition, what we do training. And that's, that's the kind of kids that we get. It's kids that are going to buy into the process of what we do. And that, you know, you have a little bit of success and success is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it just kind of builds on itself. So, you know, it's worked out really well and guys are bought in. Absolutely. Excellent. And, when when you talk about that process, obviously one part of that is training and the other part is nutrition. And I want to get the nutrition part later in the podcast. Ooh. But when we look at the training side of things, what what does a training session with you look like then? Because obviously a lot of things need to go on and you're kind of restricted by the NCAA guidelines, Ooh. I imagine, with you can't have endless contact time with them. So when an athlete comes into a session with you, what does that look like? So it's kind of broken down in times of the year. So we'll start the first Monday in June with our guys in the off season. So that's June, July, August, you know, kind of September uh, practices start and then we're playing games in November. Right. And so with that, what we do that's a little bit unique is we actually do a team training session, you know, a team training environment uh, in our off season, our June, July, August, September. And so that may not necessarily be the best way to get the, the individual to the man. What does this person need more than anything in the world? But from a general physical preparation standpoint, it gives us a chance to really kind of hammer, you know, home some of those, those, those big rocks. But then the other side of it is there's still a cultural component. So we have freshmen coming in that they have no idea what they're in store for. But we've also got veterans coming back that have been to the final four. And they know what that process looks like. They know what the day-to-day -day process of training, nutrition, on-court work, they know what that looks like. So now we get them all together and, and there's a little bit of the, the old dogs bringing up the young dogs with them. Um, now, now within that, there is separation, but, but anyways, a normal training session in that off season, we'll, uh, we'll get together. We'll do some team 
based event. Maybe that's tempo running, uh, hill sprinting, sled sprinting, you know, strongman circuits. But we usually do something in a team element, and then we'll split it up. You know, essentially guards and bigs, where half will go do some on court work, half come to the weight room, then we flip it. Um, you know, and that that's kind of the meat and potatoes of training in the morning. Uh, but as soon as they get in there, we've got a breakfast waiting for them. So we start our day every day with a great breakfast. We go train. We get done with all those things. There's a lunch waiting for them. So they have lunch. Um, usually guys, you know, they'll go handle all their academic stuff. And then one of the great things about us is, you know, we are a very developmentally driven program. So then they'll come back and get shots up, you know, individually with managers, rebounding for them. Uh, and then we'll typically have another meal for them waiting after that. So, I mean, if, if you go to UH, man, you're going to get fed really well. You're going to consistently, <laughs> consistently train. But that's usually four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, you know, preseason hits, and now now you're actually in practice mode. So the hours kind of flip where instead of being very GPP-centric, now it's kind of specific prep-centric, and, and it's really about what you're doing on court and, and getting to the technical, the tactical, you know, learning our system, being the best in the world, what we do on the court. Um, so those hours come down a little bit. We typically drop down to three days a week in the weight room then. Um, and then once season hits, that's when it turns into the, uh, you know, every – basketball strength coaches favorite time of year and it's it's one-on-one -on -one, it's two-on-one -on -one, so I might be on the floor for you know eight hours a day training guys and that's when it's more the individual side of things um you know working with guys to the man and then you know we will still have some low minute guys or some redshirt guys that they may be going four days a week and, and really getting after it trying to hammer some of those body comp those those weight gain goals whatever that might be um but I'll tell you what man we train we get after it year round. And, and I think that's one of the other reasons why we do get the results we get is, is, you know, it's part of our culture, man, guys come in and they train and, and you don't see that everywhere. And before we uh, came on and discussed uh, this on the podcast, uh, we, we talked previously about om Omni reps, yeah. right? So um, can you, can you take us through how you use those during different phases or potentially during the preparation phase to, um, to really, focus on certain qualities yeah so one thing that i started doing a few years ago uh is, is something called an omni contraction system um and so if you actually talk about omni reps uh it was, i think it was mike menser uh i mean this is 70s 80s whenever it was that was doing omni contraction reps where within the rep itself there'd be a, a concentric emphasis and an eccentric and isometric all within the individual rep uh, what, what I do within the system that I run in our off season, okay, this is not what we do in the end season, but in our off season, uh, we'll dedicate a day to eccentrics. We'll dedicate a day to isometric emphasis and we'll dedicate a day to concentric emphasis, you know, you know, more straight reps, um, or maybe dead stop reps where you truly are working the concentric emphasis. Um, and then we'll have a fourth day, which is kind of our gap day, you know, things we missed, from those three emphasis days, maybe, maybe it's something as simple as we're going to do our strongman training. And then because our guys have such massive wingspans, we do a lot of elbow dominant work, a lot of curls, a lot of tricep work. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be pretty important to, to put some size on the arms. If, if we're going to have healthy shoulders, healthy elbows, healthy wrists. Um, and that's just going to drive up other capacities with pressing rowing. So again, it just kind of is a rising tide that lifts all ships. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, it, it could be something like accentuated eccentrics in an accumulation block where you're, you're literally just putting things on a slower temper, you know, tempo, building up a little bit of fatigue, um, you know, really trying to just train that capacity of controlling the rep um, and, and, you know, 
some of that Sarkamir Genesis, adding a little bit more in series and in some of those capacities. Uh, isometric work, it could be something within the warm up. You know, maybe we're doing Copenhagen planks, maybe we're doing, uh, you know, different rear iso neck work. Um, but then it's also maybe it's interrupt pausing. You know, maybe there is going to be a hypertrophy emphasis where we're doing uh, statodynamic reps and we're pausing interrupt. Uh, maybe we're, we're doing uh, isodynamic where you're doing an iso rep to begin and then getting into the dynamic work, right? I mean, so there's a lot of different ways to kind of carry out the methodology of it. Um, you know, but within an accumulation block, we typically do a little bit more weak point training. So if you see our guys with, you know, for example, hill elevated work doing, you know, front squat, well, that's a weak point for them. That's quad work. These guys are really long limbs. They always want to hinge. So how do we find a way to hammer home at weak points? And that's a big thing we do in an accumulation. And then we work to an intensification. We try to, you know, train what their body's good at. You know, so again, if you're really, really long legs and short torso, you'd be great at hinging. So maybe that's when you start getting more into the, the deadlift work, right? Um, and, and not saying you ever shelf anything. Obviously, good training is being able to build off of things and, and kind of know when to hit the gas and tap the brakes. But we'll toggle back and forth between accumulation, intensification. Um, I, I'm not really a, a big fan of, you know, linear periodization model. You know, it's all kind of an emphasized concurrent model because no matter what you think you're doing in the weight room, there's still plyometrics on the floor. There's still a conditioning aspect. There's still a whole lot more things going on. Um, you know, so, I mean, there, there's a whole lot going on, man. If, if we're in intensification, then we're doing a whole lot of overloaded eccentrics with weight releasers. Um, you know, we, we'll do overcoming isometrics, you know, pulling into racks. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things we're doing that are, uh, I think, really good training. Uh, but I think one of the cornerstones is, is we're really good with range of motion. I, I never want to sacrifice range for load. Um, I think we, we do a really good job with technical proficiency, you know, show me somebody who cheats technique and I'll show you someone who's going to get injured, you know, may, maybe not today, but what if they get injured in three years at the peak of their earning potential in the NBA? Right. And so to me, I think though, there's just so many boxes to check. Uh, but within an, within an omni contraction method, it's, you know, everyone wants to ask, is it triphasic? It, it, it's, it's not, it's not a knock on triphasic. It is just a, it, there's, there's way more different than in common. Um, but, but it's a daily contraction emphasis and we'll run that for, like I said, June, July, August, September. And once we actually get going, it more resembles like a tier system. Once we kind of hit our in season, uh, if, if you're familiar with the Joe Ken tier system, um, it's, but it's not quite that, you know, we all got our little takes on everything, but it probably more resembles that once the year gets going, if season gets going. And can, can you take us through what that, what that involves? Then? Yeah. So really you start breaking it up into your days. You, you, you'll, it's a total body training emphasis. So you'll say, Hey, day one, you'll start the day with the big, you know, tier one emphasis of like a total body lift. So maybe that's a snatch. Right. Then you'll go to a, a lower body emphasis. Maybe that's a front squat. Then you go to an upper body emphasis. So instead of emphasizing contraction, you emphasize by total lower upper and then you talk and then it'll be a total and a lower. Right. So you might have five big heavy hitters that day. Then the next day you'll have you'll start with your A1 will be a lower body emphasis, you know, then an upper, then a total. And really the, those top tiers, those are your big meat and potatoes, you know, your squats, your bench presses, your 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 Olympic work. Um, whereas if you're on that fifth exercise, that may be, you know, single leg RDL. That might be single arm pressing. So it's just a way to organize training. There's no really magic formula. It's just being very organized, being very intent, driven, being very technically proficient, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say that's probably the two biggest things is, you know, it's, it's a lot of attention to detail. Um, you know, a lot of intent into the bar. And then I, again, man, I know we talked about it. We'll say get to it later, but I do think one of the, the things we do better than anybody is finding a way to implement the nutrition within it to then complement the training. Um, you know, there's periodization to our nutrition, but, uh, but I think we just do some things, you know, a lot of folks don't that, that enhances, you know, our results because we're just, we're so consistent with it. Let's, let's, let's get on to yeah. that. So, um, I want to hear what you do that other people don't do, but I want to hear that in just a second. Firstly, I want to frame that with, um, a little introduction as to why athletes should be doing that nutrition side of things optimally and then what they need to be consuming, right? So I think there's a little bit, like everyone, everyone knows you need uh, a bit of protein after your, your, your workout. That's, that's logical. Everyone should, I think, know that by now. But like, why should athletes be doing this? And what should they okay, be doing? Okay, so, man, all right. So, so again, man, there's entire, you can get a PhD in nutrition. So let, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, yeah. let's uh, carve it down. And I want you to summarize that in two 30-second clips, yep. please. Thank you very much. So let, let's carve that down to a... Uh, a 30 second dissertation. Right? So <laughs> look at a So protein, for example, I think one of the things that, that I have a, a somewhat unique understanding in is that there's the best way to do something. And then there's the best way to do with what you got. Right. And so for me, we got to like, let's take protein. For example, if you say, you know, what is the most important aspect of protein consumption? Is it, is it the, the timing of it? You know, you said post-training. Is it the quality of it? Is it your total daily intake? Um, you know, you can say those things. Well, well, one, the most important thing, bar none, is your total daily intake, right? Because if you were to say, no, the most important thing is timing, well, let's say you take a protein shake right after you train, but you don't have any other protein during the day, you're not going to get the results you want, okay? So for us, I got to look at it and say that the most important thing is going to be the total daily intake. It doesn't mean the other two aren't important, but that's the most important. To me, the second one is actually going to be the quality, right? And so the, the easiest way I can explain it is if, if I give you the option, are you going to feed your child 200 grams of protein from grass-fed steak or 200, 200 grams of protein from hot dogs? You don't got to answer it out loud, but if, if, if you say hot dogs, get go, go hire <laughs> a, a way better RD than you, okay? But then the other one is, is going to be yeah. timing. Timing is important. But timing is negated if the other things are not in place. So for me, for example, I can bring guys in and say, hey, we got weight gain guys. We're going to come in and get 60 grams of protein at breakfast. Then we're going to have a training session. And in that training session, we may do 20 to 30 grams intra just because we're trying to get it in your system. Not saying that's the best timing, or, but we're just trying to get it in your system. Then we maybe go 50 grams post. Well, if you go 50 plus 30, that's 80. You may say, oh, that's way too much. But hey, we only have a certain number of exposures. So we got 80 grams there. We got 50 at breakfast. Um, you, you, what's the math there? 130. So then we're going to bring them back at lunch. We're going to get another 60 grams. So now you're up to 190 by noon. And now all I need from you is, hey, once you get done with your shots after, come get one more protein shake. So now you're at 240. And now we're playing with house money for dinner, Right. And so we can be consistent with that, knowing that your total is the most important. But if we don't take advantage of when we actually have exposure to them, I mean, th then you're just kind of hoping, right? And so that's actually why I, I like being an early morning team, because we can wake up, 
we can hammer these things out. And at least you may fall asleep, take a nap, but you're still going to wake up and eat dinner. If we're a start at one in the afternoon team, well, some of those guys are waking up at 11 a.m., rolling in on an empty stomach, and the first time you see them is at one o'clock. Well, how much protein are they really going to get between then and going to bed? Right. So I, I think you, you kind of get asked backwards on that when you become an afternoon team. So I, I am a firm believer if you can do it, be a morning team. Okay. But that that's just that's just protein, right? And we can do that with you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, carbs, fats, and blah, blah, but, sorry, go ahead. But the, the, these guys, these guys are heavy guys as well, right? Because they're big. Like they're obviously, they're. I imagine some people listening to this, they're thinking, uh, let's let's take a, a seventy kilogram uh, football player, soccer player, um, who's trying to hit two hundred grams of protein before yeah. lunch. Like that's just not going to happen. They can't eat that much food, right? So like, these these are the bigger range of human beings, correct? Um, eating a lot of food to to fuel that that yep. body, right? And but you know, then the the other um, thing is, you know, you you, you start. Uh, you start saying like carbs, right? Like to me, no one's ever got, if, if you're on a diet, no one ever gets to the end of the day and says, oh, nuts, man. I didn't hit my daily carb intake. I, I just got to load up on carbs before yeah. bed, right? Like, so, you know, you start looking at those kind of things. And so for me, I think you start with protein as the emphasis, carbs, you know, you know, fruits, vegetables, you know, the rices, potatoes. I, I want high quality carbohydrates. And we build our plates around that. And then just, just healthy fats to fill in the rest. And so again, that that's just kind of the the every single day for our guys they have access to that. But I really think what's and, and that's what I think most people mess up is is one. Let's say that you are a, a a body comp where you need to drop a few pounds. If you just focus on the quality, I'm not even going to tell you to start cutting things out, adding things. If you just focus on the quality of your protein intake, and then you start focusing on the quality of your carbohydrate intake and the quality of your healthy fats, well, all of a sudden your diet cleans itself up pretty quick. And I'm not even the one telling you what you can and can't take. It's stuff that you're going to pick, things that you enjoy. So now there's adherence because it's actually food you want to eat. Okay. But there's a, also a great underlying reality that I, I also work with guys that can eat cotton candy for breakfast and still have a six pack. Like, you know, so I do have some genetic, <laughs> genetic yeah. anomalies, you know, not everybody, but most of them. Um, but I'll tell you this one. I really think where we we really separate ourselves here at UH is if one unique thing about Houston. Okay, Houston has surpassed Biloxi, Mississippi, as the fattest city in America. Okay, and I don't know. That's that, that, that's impressive, yeah. right? Because our, our conception of, Europe, of Europeans of you guys is like you are not small. Well, generally, you, you know what? I'll take that as a compliment because I, I I'm, I'm trying to be. <laughs> uh, you're 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 jacked. That's different. But like, just uh, like the like images of people rolling around in mobility yeah. scooters because they're too fat to walk around the fucking well, supermarket. Or something. Well, well, well thank you for calling me Jack. You know all the right things to say, man. But uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you're filling up the screen, mate. I can't. I look like a, like I'm filling up like half of the screen now. And you're no. just taking the whole thing. It's on purpose. I zoomed in a certain way, but uh, but no, but you go to Houston and Biloxi, right? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, USA, we actually we were we were surpassed by Mexico a number of years ago, and we we took back the crown. So Mexico had a, but we are we are so let's just go to Houston, right? And I promise there's a point to this. It's kind of funny, but we are the, we are the fattest city in the fattest country on the planet. Right. So, but, but I'm telling you that because now think about this. If we go outside and we count the next hundred people, those hundred people, how many of them are jacked versus how many of them are just overweight? Okay. 
Most of them are overweight. Very few of them are jacked, but they're in a caloric surplus. So why aren't they putting on size? Okay. So now you get into it where you say, look, a calorie is a calorie. And yes, I understand. It's just, it's a measurement of energy. And, and I get that, but all calories are not created equal. Okay. And I can go back to the quality side of things. You, you eat hot dogs, you eat steak. Okay. So if you're just, if you're just strictly talking about a number on a scale, yeah, you, you, your, your caloric intake is going to impact that. But if you care about the composition, the quality, you care about how that number looks. Okay. Well, the quality of what you eat matters, but the other big one is here in the U S and I, I can't speak worldwide, but I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of the same things seen worldwide is if you look at the actual blood panels, let's go to those same hundred people that just walked by the door outside my office. If we ran a blood panel on those same people, so we have a blood panel and then we have a calorie panel. How many of them are calorically deficient? The answer is zero. None of them are calorically deficient, but how many of them have nutrient deficiencies? And we can start saying vitamin D. We can start saying, what's your omega-3 index look like? What's your, what's your magnesium status? What does your zinc look like? Okay, so we start going down that road, and now we can say, well, we know from every study ever done on deficiencies in the U.S., they're, they're, you know, a lot of them are done on college students or you know, unique populations, but there's also some good studies now starting to come out on like the NBA G League, uh, the, you know, the NFL Combine. But we start looking at athletes. I, I really get cautious with this. I don't like talking injuries and I don't like talking, you know, our internal injuries and our internal blood panels and those things. But I'll tell you this. We've had one kid in the seven years that I've been here. I'm sorry, the six years I've been here going into year seven. We've had one kid who came in who was not vitamin D deficient. And it just so happened his uncle was Lee Haney, the bodybuilder. So he had a pretty good nutrition plan, right? Um, you know, just small world things. It was pretty cool. Um, but you look at that and you say, well, hmm, how's that going to impact, you know, not just bone health, but how's that impact your androgen levels? Okay. We look at the omega-3 index. There was that really good study that came out on the G League. So you're professional basketball players, just kind of one step below the NBA. Um, oh, sorry, screen, screen fell on me there. But, uh, <laughs> okay, but anyways, you look at that and it was, uh, I think they did 119 panels looking at omega-3 index and 117 were deficient. One was insufficient, one was in range, but then when they paired that up with the, uh, with the questionnaire and it's like half of them were saying they eat their, their necessary allotment of, of fish, well, something's not adding up. And so that's where I think we do a great job with our guys is, you know, we, we have a pretty substantial supplement budget. Um, you know, we, we kind of group our nutrition in three boxes. One is, uh, you know, our training table. So those are the actual meals. We have a fueling station, which is a 24-7, you know, fruits, berries, nuts, you know, yogurts, cheeses, jerkies, hydration options, blah, blah, blah. That's in their locker room. But then we have a, a supplementation budget. And I mean, we're looking at, you know, collagen loading pre-training. We're looking at omega-3 we're looking at vitamin D, we're looking at magnesium, we're looking at zinc, we got multivitamins, we've got, you know, fruit and green powders, we, we got everything you need to positively impact a blood panel, because once you clean up micronutrient deficiencies, and your sub 10% body fat, and that's, that's just a kind of a goal, I know it can be a little more individualized with different, you know, circumstances. But if you're lean, you've got a good blood panel, you've got great access to nutrition, you're going to respond really, really well to the nutrition and you're going to respond better to the training. Whereas you have a lot of things, you know, that I disagree with it. I understand sometimes you just need some quick calories. But again, we, we talked about the 100 people walking by in Houston, Texas, zero of them, zero are, you know, macronutrient deficient. 
But if we're talking about putting on size, there's not a magic bubble over the Houston basketball practice facility where calories just can't get in. How come we can't gain weight? Maybe we should be looking at cleaning up other things while we're putting this size on, right? It's obviously going to be a process. But if the answer is we're going to eat more peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with chocolate milk because that's high calorie, they're, they already got that when they ran through Chick-fil-A and ordered a large sweet tea with the fries and two chicken sandwiches. Trust me, the, the calories aren't the problem. Maybe we got to deep dive and be a little bit more pragmatic in our approach to how we address body comp with our athletes. And so to me, that's, that's where I think we do a good job carving out a niche for ourselves here at UH and how we can help these athletes with their body comp goals. I think that's uh, super interesting. And before we wrap up, I wanted to get a, a quick case study from you. So can you can you talk us through how you've done all of this with an athlete before? So maybe just walk us through that process of coming in potentially year one, getting all this great nutrition, getting those workouts in and coming through all the way through to a uh, year, potentially three or four, where they're a fully grown athlete, where they're grown up and they're ready to make yeah, a Yeah, you know, um, I, I don't necessarily want to give you one specific example but we again we we've had uh you know we have a kid named like for example this we have a kid named marcus sasser uh marcus sasser came in couldn't even pass the, the couldn't even get through the warm-up you know couldn't get through a day of conditioning the guy was laying on the ground looking off into like freaking guatemala he had no idea where he was he was just staring off in outer space right well marcus sasser was a first team all-american this year and so I'm not going to say it's because of the training and the conditioning. That dude worked his freaking face off. But he had the right infrastructure, the right system around him that, you know, you're a, you're a top 300 player. Those dudes don't get drafted. But he, he's, he's, you know, ranked in the 300 coming out of high school. Can't even get through conditioning when he gets here. We actually, with him, it was unique because we got his body weight up. And then we had to drop it back down because when he, he got up to like 202 at six foot one. He, he wasn't quite what we wanted him to be. So we dropped him down and his new goal weight was 192. And he played at that week after week after week, like clockwork at 192. And that's where he was the best version of himself. Um, but he's, you know, he's going to get drafted. He has a good chance to sneak up into the first round. He, he may fall to early second, but he's going to be drafted. He was the first, first team All-American. Um, you know, I was working football at Utah State with a guy by the name of Dave Scholes. Dave Scholes has kind of been the biggest mentor impact on my coaching career of anywhere I've been, but we, we had a walk on go to the NFL. I mean, so you have, you have these, these processes in place where you can take a kid and as long as they're willing to work and that that's the biggest caveat in all of this, you know, we have, we have everything in place. If you just come in and work your freaking face off, you're going to have an opportunity to become the best version of yourself. And, you know, we talked about it before we got on for me, the best version of myself was, was playing division one football. It wasn't the NFL that I just wasn't good enough for that. that that's fine. doesn't make me a bad person. I'm a bad person for other reasons. Right. But, but there's uh, <laughs> a whole list of other shit. Yeah, like, no, yeah. no, no uh, but, but you know what I'm saying? But uh, you know, so it doesn't make you a bad person. If you don't go to the NBA, if you don't go to the NFL, if you know, you can still work hard and take a lot of pride in the fact that you still became the best version of yourself, but that can be a scholarship guy here at UH with basketball. That can be a walk-on player, uh, you know, at Utah state that can be a lot of different things. Um, but, but ultimately, I mean, if you say case study, you know, there's so many individual differences to the man, 
that we'd probably need another couple hours on a podcast to, to kind of one by one go down the line. So I'm sorry. I wish I had a better answer for you, but, uh, but I, uh, there's some there's some really good examples yeah. there. I think it's nice to to give the kind of the context as to what you're what you're doing all this for, right? So at the start, we we kind of like we said, like, why would you want to do this as an athlete? Why would you want to recomp? And I think that's brought it back really nicely to the start yeah. again to be like, you know what? If you want to do it, you can go from being gassed in your first warm up through to all American. It's possible. You just need to put that work in yeah. over the years. And, you know, and, and make no mistake about it, man. Like. I'm not going to pretend like Danny DeVito, the actor, could come in today and outwork all of his shortcomings to be an All-American. Like, there is a genetic aspect to it. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, you know the thing that most of our players did better than anything at all is is they picked their parents the right way. <laughs> so, I, I mean, you know, the, yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. You know, there's that saying, there's a there's weight room genetics and then there's bedroom genetics, right? So there, there's only so much we can do with that bench press. Sometimes you just you just needed your mom and dad to pick each other the right way so that you came out looking like you know yeah. looking like you look and running like you run. So that's more things that I need to blame my parents for. Let's uh, just put that one on the list. Brilliant. But, um, Alan, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really good podcast. Um, where can people find more information? Yeah, you know, you? I, uh, I I'm somewhat active on social i used to be a lot more active but it, it's kind of gotten a little you know unbearable i'll be honest with you in, in, in recent years but uh but i'm on twitter i'm on instagram and uh you know it's coach alan bishop on both and uh you know i, I try to interact with anybody interacting with me who's not a complete you know pc you know what so uh you know if, if you need anything just go ahead and reach out on one of those perfect alan massive thanks for your time and effort today i look forward to Sounds good, brother, man. good to connect all right. Cheers, buddy. Bye. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Alan for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of sports science courses broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And as a bonus, for every course you complete, you get a certificate of completion, which means you can improve your ongoing education. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.